This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. We decided it's high time we do an episode about Mary Jane. Marijuana, things are happening. That's right. This episode is about pot. We're exploring the rhetoric surrounding legalization in New York's recent gubernatorial primaries. And a cheesemonger turned cannabis consultant shares the tricks of the trade. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? And we find out how one exemplary South Carolina farmer is trying his hand at a new crop. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's it's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant. Plus, Hannah Forden and I taste test the hottest new cocktail ingredient, CBD. So subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when the newest episode of Meet and 3 drops. And welcome to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, your weekly journey through all things fermented. Uh, so in this episode, Mary went solo with her recorder. She stopped by Strong Rope to talk to some New York maltsters, and she stopped by KCBC to talk about the state of craft beer in India. Uh, but before we get to that, just one quick announcement. So it's the 30th anniversary of the New York Homebrewers Guild, and they want to celebrate with all of you. The celebration is at The Well on October 14th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Tickets are $30, and what those $30 will get you is you get to try so many, so many different homebrews from all these prominent Brooklyn and New York homebrew clubs uh, like the Bruminaries and Dogs of Wart, as well as Bitter and Esters. And also there's going to be some homebrew alum uh, who are now in the big leagues like KCBC and even Brooklyn Brewery. So get your tickets at eventbrite.com. Then there's also a Facebook event. Uh, Also, hey, if you like the show, we want to hear from you. We have a really good lineup planned for this season. All sorts of very interesting ferments and all sorts of very interesting brews. But we are very interested in any topics or any guests that you might be interested in. So you can find us on Facebook at Ferment About It, or on Twitter or Instagram, also at Ferment About It, or you can email us at fermentaboutit at gmail.com. All right, enjoy the episode. Ferment About It. I am here in Gowanus at Strong Rope Brewery with Ted Hawley of New York Craft Malt and Mark Sorrells of Cornell University. So I'm going to have you guys tell a little bit about yourself. So, Ted, let's start with you. Tell me what New York Craft Malt is and what you do. Well, thank you for having me, Mary. Uh, New York Craft Malt, uh, I believe we are the uh, oldest in recent history of uh, the malt houses in New York State. Uh, I'm with New York Craft Malt in Batavia, New York, upstate New York. Uh, We've been malting since 2012, and we concentrate on uh, a lot of specialty side of malts. Uh, We do have the base malts, but we're doing smoke malts, crystal malts, chocolates, caramels and things like that for the color and taste of New York. Awesome. And Mark, tell, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Cornell. Thanks, Mary. Um, yes, I've been at Cornell for 40 years. I'm a professor of plant breeding and genetics, and I'm responsible for developing new varieties of oats, wheat, and barley for the state of New York. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that we realized in 2012 was that we needed to develop a lot of information about barley and in 2012 there was no malting barley being grown in New York. So thanks to the New York State Legislature they uh, have agreed, Ag and Markets has agreed to support us for the last four or five years and during that time we developed a lot of information about malting barley varieties from Europe, Western Canada, Western US to try to find malting barleys that are suitable for production in New York. Cool. All right, Ted. So what inspired you in 2012 to start your craft mall and 
growing or malting New York State grown grain? Well, uh, it was interesting enough. It was in 20, 2011. I attended a uh, Northeast Organic uh, Farming Association uh, 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 con- uh, conference, and I attended a, uh, a segment on from uh, from farm to bakery. And the facilitator at that time uh, just kind of mentioned there was a need for malting barley in New York State, and then she went on to the rest of her segment. And so uh, I couldn't leave that alone. Uh, so I uh, started a dialogue with her and got uh, interested in malting and, and went on and did more and more research. And uh, so much research where it sent me kind of around the world and designing my own equipment because there wasn't anything off the shelf for malting barley at that time at the craft level. Uh, so I designed a lot of it, had it built, and uh, got it up and running in Batavia. Cool. And what did you do before that, actually? Let's talk about that. Where'd you come from? Uh, well, I've, I've done quite a bit in my lifetime. Um, don't have enough time to go over all those. <laughs> that, but uh, uh, last uh, few things that I've done is, uh, I, uh, first of all, I, I, I'm a fourth-generation farmer. I grew up on a farm uh, in Batavia. My grandfather bought the farm in 1909 and went up through the ranks. And But I kind of went off on my own for a while. We opened up a health food store. Uh, in Brockport, I owned a data management company where we did document storage and shredding of that nature and uh, uh, did a few other things too, but those are the latest things that we got involved with. But uh, it's always wanted my own, my, I wanted to get back to the roots of farming and we kind of reinvented the farm into a modern day malt house. Awesome. Super cool. Yeah. So let's talk about how the last six years have been. Uh, it's been a roller coaster for sure. Uh, in the beginning, as Mark's mentioned, uh, there wasn't any really malting barley grown in New York State. Uh, so I, uh, I was able to get some seed, and we did put it in in 2012. Uh, and a local farmer put it in the ground, and uh, we grew it like wheat. And uh, so uh, we put a lot, of, a lot of nitrogen on it, and it spiked the protein. And we didn't know what we were doing at that time. But uh, but I had a promise to that, that grower at the time to to take uh, that barley and make malt out, which I did, and I, I paid him off. But it was not the greatest malt because it wasn't the greatest supply. So we're in a, we're in a position right now with, with Cornell getting involved with uh, variety trials and, and breeding for this area to create a, a, a unique uh, malting barley for our region. Uh, we're, we're getting slowly getting there with your variety trials uh, from varieties from all over the world and the country. But uh, the breeding program that Mark has going right now is going to be key to the success of uh, the future of a good quality, hearty malting barley that the maltsters can, can malt well and the brewers are going to love. Awesome. Let's talk about a little bit about the malting process. So some of our listeners might not, I mean, even if you're a home brewer or a commercial brewer, malting's kind of mysterious, actually. So give us the, give us the nuts and bolts. It's interesting that you say that. It, it, <laughs> It is. They, not many people know what it is. It's, uh, you know. I, mean, it's, I personally it's, have seen videos and lots of photos and read about the process, but I've actually never been to a monster. So. Well, uh, I do want to point out that it's probably one of the oldest uh, uh, trades known to man. Uh, I think uh, prostitution is number one, uh, or the oldest. But uh, malting's been around a very, very, very long time. So uh, the, the modern day methods are, are different. By far, there's still some floor malting. Uh, I do not floor malt. I do pneumatic malting, so I do it in stainless steel vessels, and I can control the environment very, very well. But malting is steeping, germinating, and kilning. So you're actually modifying that grain. What you're doing is you're growing it. It's a sprouted grain, but it's a little past the sprouted measures, as in baking. But uh, we're breaking down the... uh, you know, the, the, the protein walls and opening up the starches in the grain uh, for the brewers to eventually, that turns into sugar during the mash, and uh, the, uh, uh, the yeast will attack that and ferment and make alcohol. So we're, you know, malt is the base of all beers, uh, not hops. Hops is needed. Hops gets all the glory out there. But uh, the malt is the backbone and the base and the flavor and, and, and the alcohol content of all beers. Absolutely. So let's talk about a little bit about your specialty malts. Because specialty malts are a little tougher. And like you said, you started with base malts. 
Correct. And then you branch out into specialty malts right. since. So, so uh, you know, specialty malts, uh, uh, there's many different ways of creating them. Uh, you have your German styles, you have your Viennas and your Munichs. And then you jump up into your crystals, your car- caramels, and uh, chocolates. And this is in all grains, your, your wheats, your rye, uh, and your, uh, your barleys. Uh, but uh, I, I got in the game with a small little roaster that I made uh, uh, out of a small grill with a rotisserie on it that I built. And, and I have since, uh, we, we've expanded into, the, I, I believe, the largest uh, malt roaster in the Northeast. Uh, so we're... It has computer profiling where once I get a recipe, I can repeat it. I just have to press start, and I can create the same product over and over again. And that's what the brewers need is consistency for, uh, for their beers. So it's a, it's a really nice uh, roaster, uh, and I did have some hand in um, designing that as well uh, because it's not a, not a glorified coffee roaster, which uh, I could probably put coffee, roast coffee in there, but <laughs> I have... Uh, I have direct and indirect heat, convection and conduction heat, and steam drenching, water drenching, and uh, everything needed to make some quality, quality New York, uh, especially malts. So it sounds like you have a lot of control over the process. Right. Control is key, yes. So what is some of your newest specialty malt that you have come out with? You've uh, kind of developed a technique for Okay. Well, we have recipes that we actually are making for individual breweries. Uh, not all the standards that uh, the commodity guys have. A uh, brewery will request something a little lighter, a little darker, a little sweeter. And I, I don't want to miss mentioning that we do smoke malts, too. So we do smoke uh, eight different kinds of uh, woods that and we I have. I think I'm actually drinking a beer here at Strong Rope that's made with one of your smoke malts. Yes, you do. That's, uh, yeah. I, I believe it has our, our cherry, uh, cherry smoke malt in there. And I think all of that green in there is... is uh, some of our products in each one. Yeah, so let's talk more about smoke malt. So actually, smoke beers, for those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about my love for smoke beers. So it's it's a style that, we, that isn't really sexy right now, but man, it is delicious. So let's talk about smoke malts. How do you do an applewood smoke malt versus any other smoke malt? Okay, well, all our, all our woods are right off our farm, so uh, they are right off our, our location and uh, we do season that wood so it's well seasoned we don't do any green woods uh, and we do uh, we do what, what is seasoning for a city girl uh, like me you want to get the uh, <laughs> you don't want to uh, try to smoke it right when you cut the tree down you have all the saps in there so seasoning is just drying the wood correctly and and giving it a certain time that it needs to uh, uh, to totally dry down and then and then when you smoke it and use it you, you drench it in water and then you're not getting all the saps out. You're just getting quality smoke uh, coming from the wood. Uh, but it is a, a technique. You can do some uh, uh, cold smoked. You can do, uh, I, my method is a, a roasted smoke. So we raise the temperature a little bit. And it's about a four-hour smoking time per, per batch. Uh, but we're also uh, churning it. And we're, we're, we, we play with it all the time while it's smoking. So we get the most smoke for the... Uh, for the time that it's in the smoker. Awesome. But this, not, the smoke beers, uh, they, they don't get a lot of uh, publicity out there. Uh, some smoke beers are really smoky, and some other beers, a, a nice uh, smoked uh, porter is really, really nice uh, and complements each other, uh, done correctly, uh, and the brewers uh, can dial that smoke in with their product. Uh, it's really something special. I agree. Also, a great food pairing beer. Many smoke beers are yes. great for pairing with food. Right. How many different smoke malts do you, are you doing right now? Uh, we have eight. Uh, you're going to test me on this, aren't you? We got, <laughs> I, uh, it. I mean, eight different smoke beers. That's amazing. smoke malts. That's amazing. Well, we have beech, apple, plum, pear, oak, uh, cherry, and hickory. Whoa. But we yeah. do have well, up that's, to eight. That's yeah, amazing yeah. because... Yep. So I started homebrewing in 2006. I think at that time we maybe had a choice of two, Beechwood and Peat. Okay. And that was it. So yeah, it's yeah, amazing yeah. that, you know, that homebrewers have more choice, but especially that we have a choice of New York State malt that's smoked with all those different woods. And it makes sense because New York State, we have, it's a great agricultural state. Yes, yes. We've all, we've always had the tools here, but we, uh, we always tend to go uh, to Germany and around the world for our malts, but... Now it's now now you're able to get New York grown grains and, and products here. You know, that's the local board challenge and, 
it was there, so I went after it, and now you're able to get these bottles right here in New York. So let's talk about, so you probably tasted a lot of beers that have been made with your malts. So let's talk about maybe something unusual or something that really sticks in your head or that you really were kind of awestruck at. All beers made with my malt are fantastic <laughs> beers. <laughs> to pick one right out, uh, you're putting me on the spot. I know right here at, at Strong Rope, Jason has been, since his opening, uh, has been a, a great believer of my malts. Uh, and has been experimenting with all malts. Yep. So he just doesn't do mine. He experiments with all malts throughout New York State. So he's been doing the right, uh, right, right uh, measurement of the quality of New York's products. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, everybody likes the East Coast IPAs, and you're talking to a maltster. So you know, I like a nice uh, multi lager, which would be nice for me. Yeah. And and I, I love porters and stuffs as well. Because you do a Pilsner malt, correct? Oh, uh, we do. Uh, I don't want to downplay that side okay. of it, but we do have a nice Pilsner. Uh, Let's talk about Pilsner time. malt. So. Okay. Uh, Pilsner is, the, is one of the lightest of all the malts. Uh, so that process is different than all the others. You have to... Uh, uh, it's all in the kilning process, you know, from, from steeping and germinating. Uh, it's pretty much the same for a lot of the malts, majority of the malts. And then and you're turning it into something during the kilning process. You know, you have a free-dry period, you have a forced-dry, and you have a curing period. So uh, and each one of those levels you have to maintain and control very well, or you could lose the enzymes. The more you manipulate that grain, you're starting to lose... Uh, some properties of that grain's value for, for, for many. The more color you give it, you're, you're losing the enzymes enough. Uh, where and, yeah, and the enzymes are what is converting the starch to sugar in the mash. So right, right. So uh, at the end result is the pilsner. The curing temperature is lower, uh, and uh, and it's it's a lighter, paler uh, product. But again, uh, so it sounds like a more delicate process. It's a delicate process, and it also has to do with the grain, too. Uh, I got some varieties in uh, this spring that I was trying to make Pilsner out of, and it wasn't making a Pilsner because of the, uh, uh, the variety of the grain was susceptible to moisture, and you put more moisture to it, it creates uh, different uh, um, protein levels, and that can raise the, the color of it. So the ones that I was trying to make Pilsner out of are now pales, it's still a quality product, but I couldn't get the color that I needed. So varietal uh, plays a big issue uh, with that as well. The soluble proteins, uh, you know, whether if they're high or low, will create uh, color or non-color. So I'm going to rewind a little bit. So I went to grad school in horticulture. I was working with Vidal Onion, so environment times genetics. You talked about your, some of your earliest um, malt was it? You were talking about too much nitrogen. So talk a little bit about, although Mark, you can also chime in on this. What what makes a good brewing malt versus, brewing barley, I guess, versus a, a livestock barley or any other kind of barley? I went to a, um, a barley lecture at the Craft Brewers Conference a couple years ago, but until then, even though I studied horticulture, I mean, horticulture is different than agriculture, but... You know, that's something that, that not many people think about, right? So a different, a barley that would make a flour for baking is a very different barley that makes a, a uh, malt for brewing. That's, that's exactly right, Mary. Um, and these are extremely exciting times to be in the grain industry. Oh, my gosh. I've been doing this for 40 years. And I've never had so much fun. And it's all driven by uh, three or four factors. One is the interest in locally produced grain and beverages, or uh, food and beverages, because we all love local. It tells us a little bit about our heritage, where we, where we live and the people we work with. And also because people are very interested in organic, uh, organically grown food and pro, uh, beverages. So um, our, bre- our breeding program at Cornell has changed dramatically in the last five, six years to focus more on local grains that uh, meet the needs of consumers for both food and beverage. And uh, the uh, driving force was that 2012 legislation called the Farm Brewery Bill that um, suddenly uh, stimulated the craft brew industry the malting industry to um, 
buy local and produce local. But it's not just barley. It's wheat, it's oats, it's ancient grains. So it's a multi-dimensional grain landscape out there. And the consumers are benefiting from that. In regards to um, protein and nitrogen, we've been doing fertility trials to try to identify the ac accurately identify the level of nitrogen farmers need to use to produce a, a grain that is at, at the rate protein, which is about 10%. Um, the grain protein varies between 8 and 12%, but the 10% is, I think, a sweet spot for you guys, right? 10? 10 to 12. 10 to 12. Um, and it's different for winter barley versus spring barley. Winter barley is planted in September, October. Spring barley is planted in April and May. And uh, there's inherently higher protein levels in the springs versus the winters, so we have to fine-tune that fertility regimen for winters and springs. We just can't, we just can't uh, make a, a, a blanket uh, recommendation. So um, we have a, a wonderful soft white winter wheat variety called Medina that's excellent for malting and to, to, to use for uh, wheat beers. Um, Although, for almost any kind of beer, at um, Fifth Hammer, we use wheat in a lot of our beers, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've been testing oat varieties for 40 years, and, and so we know which whole varieties to recommend for um, deholing and making the uh, uh, New England IPA. Yep. Uh, but also, we have been recently testing some uh, naked, naked oats, hollis uh, oats, so that they don't require dehulling and they can be flaked or ground up for making a, a nice uh, New England IPA. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Man, where do I go from here? So let's talk about, um, have you worked with grains for flour or like for bakers as yeah. well? So well, talk a little bit about the difference kind of between those. That's an interesting dimension. It's not just whole grains that are interesting, but also the flour produced from wheat um, oats and uh, rye and barley. Barley um, distillers can use uh, uh, barley also, um, but um, most of the soft white winter wheat and the soft red winter wheat grown in New York is ground up into flour that's used to make pastries, cookies, cakes, donuts, all the good stuff. Yep. Um, and um, uh, rye uh, was has been for many years grown as a cover crop, a second-class citizen. That, um, and define a cover crop for people that might not... cover crop is just a that. crop that is, is planted to um, hold the nitrogen, hold the soil so that we don't have erosion and uh, eutrophication in the waters uh, of our streams and rivers. So cover crops are important for that, but also... Um, we can we can use a grain crop to do the same thing and harvest a, a really profitable grain crop, and it serves as both a cover crop and a, and a, and a, a money making crop. I introduced um, hybrid rye from Germany about six years ago, and they yield thirty to fifty percent more than the conventional rye varieties that have been grown in New York. And plus, they have wonderful grain characteristics. They're nice, plump. Uh, high starch grains that that are very useful in in both uh, malting, brewing, and uh, distilling. So um, these hybrid ryes are starting to change the way rye is grown and used in New York. Cool. Also, I feel like rye is kind of an old-fashioned, more old-fashioned grain. When you think about rye, rye whiskey or rye bread, that and both of those are are enjoying a renaissance right now. So yeah. I think people are you know coming back to enjoying. And really having appreciation for some of the old, you know... Peter, kind of uh, people love uh, artisan breads, especially sourdoughs and, and rye breads. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the ryes also are um, really useful for creating interesting beers. I love a rye PA. Me too. A rye PA is awesome. Yep. Uh, so I think... Rye is making a comeback. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's making a comeback, and and this is another one of the components of the rye, of, of the grain renaissance is happening in New York. Yeah.
My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. So you're also developing new varieties of yeah. grain. We talked about that, or you kind of hinted at that <laughs> earlier. So talk about what you guys are kind of striving for. Yeah, most of our focus is on uh, developing new varieties of, of soft wheat for, for uh, cookies, cakes, and pastries. But we, um, in the last, uh, well, since 2013 or 14, we have uh, been interested in starting up a, a, a barley breeding, pro- a malting barley breeding program, but we didn't have the resources until about 2015, 2016, and we decided that since we were not finding bar- malting barley varieties from other parts of the world that met the demands for Northeast agriculture and Northeast malting and brewing, that we needed to start our own malting barley breeding program. So we gathered the very best germplasm we could find. And you got to define germplasm. Germplasm, okay, so these are varieties from uh, different parts of the world that uh, have some adaptation to New York. Quality is number one. we got to have malting quality. That's number one. If you don't have malting quality, you don't have anything except feed, feed for livestock. So we started with uh, identifying the varieties that had the best malting uh, quality, and we intermated those. So we created... Um, breeding populations, segregating populations that gave us the variation that we needed to find individuals that had the combination of characteristics that were required for production in the Northeast. We have uh, ratcheted up up the intensity of our barley breeding program. Normally it takes 10 to 12 years to develop a variety. We're aiming for three years. Amazing. We're using all the latest technology, all the tricks in the book, and, and and we've pulled out all the stops. It's and a far thanks, cry from Mendel. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> but we have Mendel to thank. Yes, we do. <laughs> we love Mendel. Um, but thanks to the New York Ag and Markets and the Genesee Valley uh, Regional Market Authority, we've been able to to um, produce this uh, high-intensity barley breeding program, and we really are very optimistic that we're going to have something to deliver to New York in the next uh, year or so. And we're looking for names. We want we want a catchy name for our new variety. New York Craft Malt? New York Craft Malt. Is that a good name? No, New York, how about New York, New York Craft Barley? I, I'll go with that. All right. That'll work too. Yeah. So thank you. That's yeah. No, thank you guys. I mean, this is great. It's super exciting. So we actually had Jason on the show a couple weeks ago talking about you know, what he's doing here. He's doing something very unique in New York City. There are a lot of farm breweries in the state that are using more, a higher percentage of New York State grown ingredients in all of their beers, but it's pretty rare in New York City. Um, so it's super cool to hear, you know, what's going on in New York State malt production as well as what we can expect in, you know, the future. I mean, the future is really bright. Looking well. Looking and New York good. State is... Pretty unique in in what yes. we have going on. I mean, we're very lucky in that we are a very agriculture-driven state. We're able to grow a lot of crops here, um, as opposed to many other states. And that the state has, you know, decided to to emphasize that and to really offer some incentives to to kind of both sides, right? In order to enhance. Like they, the New York State has the farm brewing license, yes. which is along with the craft. Yes. So, but anybody has to know that twenty uh, percent of the ingredients needs to be New York State and grown up to sixty percent next year. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of December thirty first, uh, that's the end of that, and November or July, January first, it goes up to sixty percent. Yep. So you've got some breweries that are now ramping up to. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's some that are hundred, some are eighty. They're already there, but uh, there's. New York State has over 400 breweries right now, yep. and over half of them are have farm brewing licenses. Yep. So they all have to pay attention to this uh, this license and uh, uh, and, and comply. Yep. So, I uh, think yeah. I think we also have Governor Cuomo to thank for the vision for uh, sure. promoting the beverage industry in New York. 
and and with the um, uh, the wineries, the distilleries, the cideries, and the breweries, it's becoming big business. Yeah, it's big business, yeah. and yeah. and uh, uh, I don't think we anybody any other state has this kind of vision. They're yeah. watching New York State. They're oh, watching us. Are watching yeah, right now. I agree. For sure. So let's talk about some of the challenges, right? So I I feel like as an owner of a brewery, some of the challenges are availability, right? We have a 15 barrel system, mm-hmm. um, and also actually knowing how, really getting to know the malt, right? I think that's the biggest challenge personally is education of brewers. So what is, what do you, what's your thoughts on educating brewers to use, to use New York State your malt specifically, right, but also just right. New York State grown malt because it's a little bit different. It's different, you know, and I think it's the way it should be. Uh, back in the day, that all metropolitan areas had their own malt houses. It was all grown locally, and it was a different malt. You know, the, the commodity, if you will, commodities kinds of malts uh, now are from all over the world, and they, they're mass-produced, and they are, are different. Yep. And everybody's used to using that different. Right. Uh, they I were kind of trained up on that. They're right? trained. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and those big guys, they can blend. You can, you can make a phone call, and it's at your door, and uh, yep. they're blending. So it's the same product all the time. So right. the challenges are having the same product over and over again that the breweries can count on. The flavor's there. The efficiency's there. Uh, the consistency is always the same. That's we got to get. We got to get the brewers to. Uh, uh, to be in on uh, uh, trusting us because yep. uh, it hasn't been there in the past right. but with the new grains coming up uh, we're, we're getting it's brand new. I mean 2012 it's pretty new st- it's I mean, pretty new you know, yes yeah. so the, the, you know I've gotten better with my my equipment my techniques the grains getting better everything's being elevated right now where the brewers brewers should be able to handle uh, the quality and, and, and we should be able to produce everything that you're looking for on a continuous level so what about sharing I guess I feel like there should be and Jason and I have talked about this a little bit about sharing you know more kind of practices like how best to get, get the maximum you know how to use these malts because they're like you know, they're not the, the same malt that we're used to from other parts of the world, right? Right. But we right. can make amazing beers from that. Yes, so, yeah. what what do you think? You know, the brewers. Education have to, of brewers. Yeah. I'm not going to downplay the brewers, but the brewers have to be brewers. The yes. brewers have to actually be brewers, not not look at a a, <laughs> a menu and a recipe and yes. think it's going to turn out. Yep. They have to do their job as brewers, and if there's some adjustments to be made. They make it on the run. Yep. And if, the, if, if they see something not working, they have to make the adjustment. You know, it's a, it's, it's a partnership between the malt, from the, from the growers to the malt house to the yep. brewers. We all have to be connected. Yep. And we all have, we're all part of the story, and we all need to know each other's story. Yes. And uh, if there's a disconnect anywhere in there, it's, it's just not working well. But it's, it's, we're starting to get better at everything. The brewers are starting to be comfortable with New York malts. They are a little more expensive. And I think that's a hurdle to go over right now. But we, we have to keep the, the growers, we need to keep them uh, interested in growing. Uh, they're used to growing commodity grains where it, it's just feed. Right. A fraction of what we're, we're offering them, livestock feed. So uh, we got to keep them interested in growing it. And we're giving them a premium to grow it. And maybe, the, you know, it, that's where the biggest price is. Well, it's important that we support our farmers, right? And support our farmers. You know, you go to the farmer's market every year, you get a different fruit and vegetables every year because it's a different growing season. And you also are paying a little bit more there, but you know you're talking right with the farmer. Yep. You're talking with the grower. Yep. You know who's growing your foods there. So that's the same thing on the on, uh, the local malt scene, too. And I think it's also education of the public, right? We're, like we right. talk about, you know, people want to know where what they're drinking or eating comes from. Right. So it's really important. Beer is kind of one of those things where, you know, New York State's been a very big wine state for a very long time. And people have an appreciation for that. But people don't really think about what's in their gla- beer glass necessarily, right? Right. Um, and we now have the ability to make beers from 100% New York State ingredients. Yep. And, and we're supporting the local economy. Absolutely. There's nothing more important. For and sure. And it starts from the ground up, the growers. Yep. You know, you're, you're, you know, I think it's all up to the front people, uh, the servers. Yep. You know, to uh, 
educate the uh, the consumer coming up, say this grain is growing local, it's being malted local, and it's brewing local. It's not just brewed local. And there's nothing better than that. So, what kind of contact do you have with the, with your brewer, brewers that buy your malt? Uh, very good contact. I just actually we were actually making some unique products for specific brewers. That right now, uh, I have a brewer that is uh, that I'm I'm roasting uh, flaked oats for, and he's called it a uh, oatmeal cookie uh, lager. So I mean, I'm, I'm I'm making these really unique products specific to the brewers. So I and he came to my my malt house, and we both worked on the recipe together on my roasting. And he was telling me what he wanted. And I kept testing, testing, testing. He says, that's what I want. I saved it. It's in my computer. It's under his name. And that's his, uh, that's that's his awesome. product. And that is something that brewers are not going to get from, from no. ordering. No, no. You, you, you know, you've got a wide range of products out yeah. there. We're, we're making variations off of them. And we're actually in New York Craft Malt. We're, we're creating names, trademark names. We're Chautauqua Chocolates. Uh, we're using the... Uh, upstate hard red wheat. Uh, um, we we'll try some of our upstate soft white wheat. Soft white wheat. Yes. Yeah. It, it reminds me, though, earlier this week we had the variety showcase that was at the Project Farmhouse sponsored by Green Market. And they teamed up um, breeders with chefs. And so the uh, breeders provided the chefs with the grains or the vegetables and the chefs use their creativity to make up something very tasty and delicious and then people um, uh, bought tickets to attend and try all of the different kinds of, of uh, food products that the chefs made and this is essentially what you're doing. You're working with the brewer to create a novel product that is interesting and, and tasty and uh, uh, the consumer is going to want. Yeah, it's uh, very unique times right now. Uh, you know, I, I have one account that went to a, a big malt house, commodity size, and uh, they said, "No, you got to be. You just you're ordering off his list. You know, that's all you can do." But they didn't want exactly what they had, and uh, it's amazing how social media works. I had in my hands. Uh, my wife took a picture of my hands with my chocolate, uh, chocolate wheat. And that went out there, and I get the call from this company, and it's going to be quite a large account for us to be able to uh, to produce what they want, and the big guys would not. Awesome. That's great. So it's, it's, it's great times right now, and the, and the brewers can start relying on good quality products in New York State more, more and more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, well, we have a website, newyorkcraftmalt.com. Uh, you can order through us through orders at newyorkcraftmalt.com. Uh, we, have, we can sell to home brewers as well. We have, uh, we have the online store on that website. Um, and, uh, we have an Instagram? We Instagram, <laughs> yeah. My, my social media director, a.k.a. my wife. Um, <laughs> she, she does all the social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And... Uh, would love to hear from people and what their needs are and, uh, and and enjoy the good times that we are right now in the brewing and growing and malting uh, industry. Awesome. And Mark? Yeah. I just wanted to point out one other important component um, for New York State, and that is the Cornell Cooperative Extension agents that train the farmers how to grow malting barley. They have been the key organization that has made uh, malting barley possible in New York. And we went from maybe 30% uh, barley meeting specs the first year to 70% the next year. And I haven't heard the uh, statistics for this year, but we thank Cornell Cooperative Extension for their efforts in educating farmers, because it's not easy. No. No, the farmers uh, are used to growing commodities. Commodity grain. Meaning livestock uh, grain. Basically, livestock, or, livestock, or, or flowers, okay. you know, your wheats and yep. things. Things and, that don't have to grow again. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's just such a, a, you know, the way I send it home to the farmers are you're no longer a commodity grain grower, you're a certified seed grower. I need to grow this grain. Mm-hmm. So it kind of sends it into a different spin. And, and for, for the particulars that you have to put up with, I'm giving you up to five times the value yeah. of what that 
product is as, as just feed. Yeah. So, uh, Which is probably the true value of that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's bigger grain, it's, and it, farming practices market right on it. Uh, you've got some old farmers that have been growing for five generations, and this is how we grow grain. Yeah. You know, so the the ones that are succeeding are the ones that are open, open-minded, and they're listening because uh, too much nitrogen will add too much protein. Uh, it also maybe add too much height and it'll lodge and fall over because it's growing too much. Um, there's a, and we have these microclimates all over New York State too that grow differently, even the same variety. Uh, differently in other parts of the state. So Cornell Cooperative Extension is, is key to keeping the farmers uh, uh, abreast, uh, abreast of best growing practices. Yes. Awesome. Well, I cannot thank you guys enough for sitting down with me here at Strong Grow Brewing in Gowanus, Brooklyn. And uh, thanks again, guys. For men about it. All right, this is Mary, and I am at Kings County Brewing Collective in the Bushwick neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. I am here with... Hey, I'm Nakul from Great State Aleworks, a brewery in India. And we, where in India? So we are based in a city called Pune, which is uh, three hours away from Mumbai or Bombay. And we are a production-only brewery. We are 10 months old now. Uh, we are supplying to four cities close by, close to our city. And uh, yeah, I, I actually started brewing in Crown Heights when I was living here awesome. about four or five years ago. And that's when I went, I met Tony from KCBC and then we've kind of been in touch. And then when he came down last, last couple of months ago, we did a collab brew with him, which was India's probably first proper New England IPA. Awesome. And then uh, <laughs> I happened to visit my brother who lives in, in the US and then we did a collab with KCBC. Which is a IPA with rice flakes and mangosteen. Ooh, which mangosteen. Should, mangosteen. Awesome. Yeah. And you guys just just did that. Like two weeks ago. Very cool. And I think I'll, I'll miss the tapping because I'm, I'm heading out in two days. But by Wednesday, they, they should be the beer should be ready. So. So tell me, how did you? So you started brewing when you were in Crown Heights here in yeah, New York, yeah. and then when you went to India yeah. or back to India, I'm yeah. not sure if that's where you're from. Yeah. But um, what? You know, how'd you keep going? Did you keep homebrewing? And what, what was sourcing ingredients like? So I actually brewed way more, homebrewed way more in India than here. I did a few batches here. I used to go to Bitter and Esther's Mm -hmm. and John gave me my first kit and all that. And then I I moved back and I started homebrewing. So I couldn't take my kit because it's too much, you know, luggage to carry. So in India, at least three, four years ago, you had to go to different markets, like the steel market for a boil kettle and the... uh, the plastic market for a you know food grade uh, fermenter and all these things but then you kind of source all this there are a bunch of craft breweries that started five to eight years ago they're really nice so my first set of ingredients came from them directly so that's that's they helped us but now things have changed new home brewers there are a couple of websites that are giving equipment that are, that, that are supplying uh, ingredients directly plus there are way more home brewers uh, uh, I mean way more breweries so breweries like mine are always giving, we always give out, you know, ingredients to home brewers and just, just as long as they give us a few pints. Awesome. Yeah. So tell me what, what you brew. So, uh, so uh, I, I love IPAs. So when, when Great Sea started, we made it a point to always have one IPA on, on tap at all our accounts. So that was more for personal uh, want. Uh, wheat beer, which is what sells the most in India, whether it's a German or Belgian uh, is is our cash cow, so we, we have a our version of a Belgian wit, which is a which is a these two a pale ale and a, and the wit are our flagship beers. A third one keeps rotating. So we did a saison in the summer, we did a colch uh, a couple of months ago, and now we are on a golden ale, Belgian golden ale. And when Tony came, we switched out our IP, uh, pale ale with the New England IPA, and we've just been doing that. We're on our fourth fourth brew. Awesome. So talk about sourcing your ingredients there. Mm, everything. Okay, so hops are fully imported. So we have your, our hops come from Europe. So if they're American hops, there's a European distributor who then sells it to an Indian distributor and then we, we get it. Mm-hmm. Mm, decently fresh hops, not, not super fresh, but like the same year harvest. Yep. Now, that's pretty good. Uh, yeast is all imported. So most breweries will use dry yeast. Because it's 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 easiest. Yep. Some breweries, right. yeah, 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 and some breweries have their own labs, so kind of 
you know, they, they get liquid yeast, they propagate and then they use that. And malt, so base malt, we can use six row base malt, which is grown in India, which is sold also to the big commercial breweries. So we kind of use that for our, for our base beers and then any kind of specialty malt is imported. So it's Weimann or it's Castle, which is what is coming into India. There's also Irex from Germany. Cool. So, yeah. And then what what is the craft beer market look like in India? I mean, I feel like, you know, here it's evolved pretty drastically over the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. So what does it look like over there? So India has, I think, three pockets of brewing. One is in Pune, Bombay. One is in Bangalore. These two are good pockets. A lot of Indians who was who were studying in the U.S., who started home brewing, sort of quit their jobs, moved back home and set up breweries. So you, you see a lot of experimentation with breweries in, in, in these two, two pockets where we are trying to use local ingredients and we are you know, trying to do new things and like, you know, because we are all home brewers. Uh, there's also North India where there's a different pocket where, where we don't relate to because they're more, more in it for the commercial point of view and their beers are not good. And so that's, that's how we, we would, I, I would distinguish the two, two, two types and it's, it's good. Within Bombay and Pune, we have now, I think, about 30 breweries. In Bangalore alone, there are about 40 breweries. So that's, that's just one big city, but this 40 is a good number. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's growing. Only, only difference that I relate to from my time here versus my time in India, there are not as many home brewers. So the home brewing community is very tiny. So they are not able to make an impact either by setting up their own breweries or going and demanding good beer because... They know what good beer is. The Indian consumer doesn't know what uh, what a double is because he's never had a Belgian double. So his first introduction of a brewery making a double is his reference point. So I think that's a challenge that we all face because we have to tell them that, you know, this is different than what you've been drinking, but this is actually what it should be. Yep. Yeah. But we, we just, we, we, are, we are so new and young that we all just try to focus on, you know, making good beer, not, not bothering too much with guidelines BJCP guidelines yep. because we can't <coughs> it's too new for us to try to do that as long as the beer doesn't have off flavors as long as it's clean it's it's good yeah awesome yeah. and then I'd ask you about bars so you're distributing self-distributing yeah. yes. in India yes so what is the setup with bars uh that's I think one of the biggest challenges for me as a brewer is that I, I I'm not just a brewer I'm also an operations guy because bars in India don't have dispensing setups at all. So, so they don't have cold rooms. They don't have cold they rooms. They don't have glycol lines. No way. Nothing, nothing. So they don't have kegerators. They don't have taps. They have nothing. So a brewery that started five years ago or maybe four years ago in, in Bombay kind of showed us, the new guys, the path where they went and convinced various bars, about 80 bars in Bombay alone to set up kegerators and and because of them and and they're not giving these kegerators for free because as small breweries we we can't set up these things like if you if you see big breweries like kingfisher and budweiser they're coming to india and giving up giving free dispensing setups which we can't so so a, the bigger struggle has been done by these the first couple of guys for us it's it's easy it's still a bit challenging but it's easy so what we do is we go and tell a restaurant that okay you should have craft beer if they're convinced we will set up their whole dispensing system. We'll train their guys on, on dispensing, on CO2 and, and, and all that. And then uh, I have a, a dedicated service guy who's just running around from one account to the other, making sure lines are clean, making sure you know we're trading them. And so that, that's a challenge because it's not just making beer, filling it in a keg and dis uh, di distributing. It's yeah. also, is it being poured well and... What's happening yeah but uh, i think there are six or seven bars now in bombay and Pune that have set up their own distribution systems own dispensing setups which is great so we are we and a bunch of other breweries are encouraging them to set up their own sets dispensing units so that you know they're not bound to me right. to take beer from me just just have six taps and take the six best beers because i know out of six i know i can get two taps and that's good enough for me yeah. you know yeah so what's your next, what are you looking forward to? What do you want to do as far as beer styles or, yeah. or you know? Yeah. 
Um, great state, my brewery is is very focused on using local ingredients. So we have used very unconventional ingredients, which are typically used in Indian cooking. You know, like souring agents in cooking to to make a sour beer. We have made we've used like lemon zest from special limes from East India. So I want to continue that, and being so when, when yeah. you say souring agents, yeah. talk talk a little bit about that. So there's there's a uh, there's a uh, ingredient called kokum. Kokum is a cousin or from the same family as the mangosteen. Um, kokum is it, the the skin of the kokum fruit is dried. and then used in fish curries on the coastal uh, on coastal side to make sour fish curries kokum is also used to make a kokum syrup for a, a summer drink a, a non alcoholic beverage that we all grew up drinking called kokum sharbat sharbat meaning juice so kokum juice so we we are, we are adding kokum into our saison so it's it's got this beautiful red color from kokum it's a it's 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 got this mild sourness like a berliner weiss or a goza without actually going into kettle souring or into uh, using you know lacto or bread yep. which is great so uh, things like that is what we are focused on awesome and uh, being here in the us you know i always go to breweries that ha- that are trying a lot of different styles so i'm i'm trying this lactose and coffee blonde ale something like, great that's that's interesting because those kind of things will work in india yeah yeah and of course the the new england ipa After Tony brewed a batch with us, we're on our third, fourth full fourth batch now, and it's 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 good response. So we'll we'll continue making low bitter but super juicy IPAs, and maybe even try using ingredients which can complement the hops when we dry hop, and see how that goes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. So if people were to to find you on the internet, where would they go? Uh, we are we are uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's Great State dot Aleworks. Cool. So yeah, you can awesome. You can Thank you so much. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. With no wind on the banks of forgiveness, you clutch to your burden.